I'm Jack Moylan, and you're listening to Let's Talk Business, a podcast geared towards young professionals served with a side of witty commentary. At Lutz, we rally around the mantra, make light, meaning be lighthearted, illuminate solutions, and create energy. We hope this episode will do just that. Let's make the complex simple. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Business. Today, we are talking about all things investing. Uh, here with me is Let's Financial Investment Advisor, Justin Vossen. Justin, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and you know what you do here at Let's? Sure. Thanks, Jack. Uh, well, like Jack said, uh, I'm an investment advisor here at Let's Financial. Uh, Let's Financial is a registered investment advisor that we manage about $1.1 billion in investments and, and do a lot of financial planning as well. Uh, I'm a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. I've uh, been here for about 13 years. Part of that, I was trading bonds, managing a bond portfolio, and interest rate derivatives. So I've been doing this uh, investing stuff for about 20 plus years now, which obviously dates me. So Not too much. Uh, maybe if I say that I'm 25, it dates you a little bit. So yeah, You've yeah. been doing it longer than I've been around. Yeah, you were, yeah you're probably out of diapers at yeah. least, right? <laughs> well, I don't know. You don't know how long I was in diapers. <laughs> There's still moments. Um, well, that's awesome. And as I understand it, everyone at you know Lutz Financial is kind of has their own specialty, right? Sure. That we've got all different different areas of expertise. What would you say? Do you have one specifically, or, or you you mentioned bonds right. in your past? I mean, what you know? What do you know the most about? Um, yeah, that's probably the the longest background I have was definitely a, I started trading bonds back in the day, and, and fixed income's always been something that I've specialized in. I think we're all generalists, but we've got folks on staff that, you know, are no deep dives in social security. We've got a former attorney on staff who knows a lot about insurance and estate. We've got a CPA on staff and obviously a lot of CPAs roam in the offices here too. Um, But we've got kind of a a good group of diverse backgrounds and, you know, ultimately that gets the best uh, resource to the client and it's a group committee on a number of different things from the investment committee to the planning committee. And uh, you got a lot of different input and a lot of different folks with different backgrounds to help out. Cool. Well, since we're talking about investments and and, um, these different topics, is there anything you need to say to people just as far as the the advice that you're giving them today? I know that as an RIA, we are fiduciary, which if you want to explain what that means, I think that's... A uh, really important point for everyone to know. To, to know, and then you know. Also, I'm sure you, there's some disclaimers. Absolutely, we have uh, everybody in this industry. We've got our formal disclaimers, and and I think you know the purpose of this podcast is educational, and and that's what we're doing here today. Uh, I'm not giving any direct advice uh, or financial advice out with this podcast. Uh, we do do that. Uh, as a certified financial planner, we do that as a fiduciary. And what that means is we act in the client's best interest and we're not conflicted. And so I always say advice is specific to the person I'm giving it to. This is more education in general and, and uh, not specific to anybody, but kind of general in nature. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks again for doing this. Why don't we just get started and cover a few different topics, sure. uh, different types of investments you've got. You know, just stocks, bonds, like you mentioned offhand. Um, 
there's all kinds of things out there. Uh, ETFs, mutual funds, if you mm-hmm. want to just maybe go down the line and talk about a few of them. Sure. And I guess stocks is always the sexy one. It's always every everybody's favorite topic, it seems like. And, you know, really what a stock is, in its very basic nature is ownership or partial ownership or shares of ownership uh, in a company. In a publicly traded company is what most people talk about. And I think there's roughly 3,700 publicly traded companies in the U.S. I think there's probably 15 to 20,000 across the globe. So these are companies that you can, as any individual can, uh, buy fractional pieces of ownership. And what that ownership gives you rights to is uh, the profits and the divided profits of, of that entity going forward as long as you own it. So. Uh, I think people get stocks in the stock market confused a lot. You know, we, we work with folks and we see it all the time. I think a lot of people think the stock market's this mythical beast, you know, moving in wild directions and, and craziness on a daily basis. And really, when you boil it down to its very basic, is it is a collection of a multiple business or thousands of businesses uh, across an economy. And it's going to reflect the ebbs and flows of the economy and everything going on around it. So, you know, ultimately, it's the most, I would say, volatile asset or one of the most volatile assets you can buy because everything going on around a different company, a different industry or a different location and geographies, uh, that, that it's one of those things that, that's going to bounce around a little bit and you got to be able to accept that. Real quick, just sure. regarding stocks, I heard growing up to invest in things you're interested in. Sure. You know what I mean when it comes to that. So how... How true is, I guess, that? And then can you explain those different kinds of stocks or things that people like to invest in a little bit? Yeah. You know, I, I think the evolution way back when, even when I started, to buy a collection of stocks, people still, there was mutual funds and, and different ways to do that. And, and with the advent of ETFs, which are exchange-traded funds, there's different ways people, it, it, mutual funds and ETFs are basically a vessel. And that vessel contains either a multitude of stocks in the same industry, multiple sized stocks that are very similar, um, geographies. You know, there's all different ways you can cut that. And so these ETFs and these mutual funds trade as basically the collection of the assets they contain. Uh, those values of each one of those go on a daily basis. And, you know, what's really cool, I think, for this generation of investors is the access to those and to get a broad diversification of stocks uh, within one portfolio is as cheap as it's ever been. And, you know, trading costs now with Schwab and TD Ameritrade, among others, going to zero dollars on a, on a commission for an ETF. Uh, there's some charge for mutual funds, but you know it, it's as cheap as it's ever been. So your access to getting a collection of different stocks um, is as cheap and easy as it's ever been. Um, so that's, I think, exciting for investors and, and people in general to get access to the markets. Sure. Um, to your point about you know investing in something you know, uh, that's where I think I, I get a little bit cautious just because picking stocks is usually fairly difficult to do and do consistently. I I don't disagree. I think you start with what you know and you know, you know, pick out Amazon, right? You know what they do, you know how they make money, you know it's a you know, a collection of different sellers and and a a company that's a, a retailer and delivers right to your home. I think the hardest part about that is what you don't know or you can look up is how expensive that stock may be valued. 
and, and you can quote me, and depending on the day you look at it, I, I think Amazon trades about 90 times earnings. So if you want to buy one share of Amazon, you're going to pay $90 for every $1 of earnings that you receive on an annual basis. Now, of course, their earnings are supposed to grow, and the company probably is anticipated to get bigger, and that's what you're betting on when you buy at Amazon at $90 PE versus a dollar's worth of earnings. Um, so you're betting on that to grow. Now, it's anyone's guess as to how fast that grows and does it justify that valuation. I love Amazon. I don't know if I want to buy Amazon for $90 PE. So it's kind of two things. I, yeah, you know the company, but then when you purchase a stock, are you purchasing it a relatively cheap or expensive valuation and that's going to have a big determinant as to if you make money in this stock way down the road so i think i'm always cautious and and the second way i'm always cautious in the market is jack if you're going to buy a share of amazon somebody's selling it to you stock market is a collection of buyers and sellers you're not just buying it from a piece of the street or picking it up off the sidewalk you're actually buying it from somebody who's willing to sell at your agreed upon price. So if you're buying the share of Amazon, I always ask, and this is, I ask ask my kids that, I'm like, who's selling it to you? Sure. Is it the other guy doing a podcast in the uh, office next door? Or is it some guy that's a uh, MIT grad that all he does is watch Amazon stock? And all he does is research Amazon stock. So... I always say what makes it cheap to him, or excuse me, expensive to him where he'd be selling it to you, and what makes you think it's cheap. And then there's a collection of, I don't know how many millions of times it trades on a daily basis of these buys and sells happening at all times. So I'm a big believer to say that at the end of the day, and there's a whole tangent we can go down on efficient market theory, that the collection of buyers and sellers at the end of the day, give us a reasonable approximation of what that value is for the companies, not only individually, but the market as a whole. I literally have never thought of it from that perspective of, yeah, I'm, I'm buying it, but I'm not, I didn't find it at some some hidden gem that this stock, is, you know, you're right, someone is selling it. Yep. So, you know, what's, what's driving them to sell that? I would venture to say they know more than I do. Yeah, oh, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's funny because, uh, I mean, way back in the day, I was, very adamant about what stock I'd buy and, and why I would buy it and you know a good rationale by it but the market didn't have to agree with that right and the sellers or buyers didn't have to agree with that and one of my partners always likes to use the, the analogy of if you do think this stock is cheap and you go out and buy it then everybody else has to realize that it was cheap at that time the market reflect that in the price mm-hmm. and then at that point you got to be smart enough to know okay now it's expensive I'm gonna sell it right so it's, I think, difficult to make money on individual stocks because, you know, you're going to have some, some good wins and you're going to have some big losses. Right. And if you look at the actively managed market, and this is a, a whole nother subject. So guys that are overweighting Microsoft and underweighting IBM and there's rationale for it, generally they don't perform as well as the indexes when you take all the fees into consideration. Yeah, and I guess that's just, and this might be more of a, an economics question, but you know, you talk about buying that stock at a cheap, what was thought of as a cheap price, and then everyone realizing that it is at a cheap price, and then that drives the value up, and you know that price is in, in your mind expensive. Is it typically a push or a pull relationship? I mean, can you use 
the market to explain why something is valued the way it is or think it may be valued a different way in the future? You know, it's... It, or does that really come down to just personal theory on how, how the market works? You know, there's people that do top-down valuation and then bottom-up evaluation. So top-down would be you, you make a determination on what you think the economy is going to do, and you know, then you go what the industry is, and then you look at the specific company. Uh, bottom-up would be find the specific company and then do the analysis the other direction. So. I think, you know, there's reason to believe, depending on your thought on the market and the economy and what that would be, again, on a practical basis, I don't trade like that. I don't right. advise people to trade like that right. because I think you're guessing a little bit. And, right. and again, going back to my original comment, I think what everybody anticipates is kind of pressed into the market on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, they anticipate there to be a fairly decent economy going forward right now. Um, I don't think they think it's going to the moon, but the stock market has risen based on that kind of theory. And then individual companies have, you know, underlying reasons why they're growing relative right. to their other peers. Right? Sure. So sure that you're not privy to, or not supposed to be privy to. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're talking insider trading. It's for sure. For sure. <laughs> Great. Well, you know, I guess we kind of discuss how the market works a little bit. Um, like you said, it sounds like it's kind of risky to pick individual stock. How do you know, again, that goes back to, I mentioned, you know, choosing stocks that I'm interested in, you know, something that I'm going to watch. You sure. Know, like, for instance, I like, you know, I like the outdoors Cabela's. Mm-hmm. So if I were to, you know, invest into Bass Pro stock, then, you know, the idea would be that I would maybe keep track of it a little bit more than, than something else. I guess, you know, aside from ETFs and mutual funds and diversifying, you know, over different companies and different kinds of stocks, you know, how do you choose? With the stocks? Well, yeah. And again, this is the million-dollar question, I'm sure. Yeah, I think uh, it's probably a multiple trillion-dollar question because everybody's <laughs> yeah. got their own theory on that. I, I look at it two ways. If you're talking retirement money, Jack, so if you're talking your 401k or your IRAs or stuff that's long-term growth money, um, one that you're not going to touch for a while, I, I personally think the core of that should be in a broadly diversified portfolio. Again, going back to, I think it's hard to pick stocks consistently, and it's hard to pick winners consistently, and, and the academic evidence says that, that nobody from you or I or anybody in New York does it particularly well for long periods of time. I mean, the average active, and this is an S&P study everybody can Google right now, it's called the SPIVA study, the average actively managed stock or mutual fund uh, that's a large cap U.S., so your 500 largest companies in general, um, only about 15% of those outperform the index. So if I if I had that information, who am I to say that I'm going to be in that you know 15 out of 100 yeah. that's going to that, and that's a 10 year number, right? Right. I mean anybody can do it and get lucky for a year. I, I'm convinced of that. It, it's consistency, and, and you just don't see that. And that's frankly that 15% are just the funds that survive. Sure. You know the rest of them. That's if they fall by the wayside in that 10 years and go out of business, then those aren't considered failures. They're just out. Sure. So back to kind of what I do for Jack, I think a good way to look at it is getting diversified as you can. We've got a free lunch we can take, and that's diversification. So your core portfolio in your, in your 401k or your IRA, you should have a, a broadly diversified cross-section of U.S. 
not only large, but medium-sized companies, small-sized companies, and then perhaps some international as well. And then, sure, if you want to pick a couple stocks inside of an IRA or inside of a just a regular taxable account at TD Ameritrade, uh, if you want to pick those stocks yourself and, and learn and, and you, you have a strong conviction about one or the other, then certainly do that. I, I just, again, I'm not a big believer in doing it with a large percentage of your, your savings, right? right? So take the diversification. You're going to get the increase of the stock market as the economies expand. You know, I always say that the world is supposed to grow at 80 million people a year from here for the next 100 years. So you're going to have you know, a billion people added over time and it's just going to continue to grow and grow and the economies are going to expand and they're going to have to expand to support that that population growth. So sure. if you participate by owning stocks that are, you know, direct reflections of that economy, you should anticipate those stocks to grow. Sure. Um, how about bonds? My, my knowledge of bonds, those as an investment strategy is, is pretty limited. So, I mean, if you could fill me in. Bonds are boring. Right. Traditionally. and That's fixed income, right? Yeah. yeah. So fixed income is, is the general category, which includes bonds. Right? So, yeah. So bonds and fixed income are typically used interchangeably. And the reason okay. they call it fixed income is that a bond is like a loan. And there are many different things or entities that, that issue those loans. It's a, Whether it's the U.S. government, whether it's your local hospital and a municipal bond, whether it's your county, whether it's your city. And then whether it's a corporation, whether it's um, there's a collection in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac issue mortgage-backed securities, which are basically pooled mortgages for other people that are issued in bond form. And then, you know, there's other sovereign debt, like uh, France issues a lot of bonds. So, you know, at the end of the day, you have an obligation that has a stated term, whether it's one year, two years, 10 years, 20 years, and then a stated fixed generally uh, coupon and the coupon is basically the rate of interest so it's essentially a loan um, it's nothing fancier than that that an entity is is borrowing from a person willing to buy their bond or buy their piece of fixed income so it, the reason uh, and typically these pay a you know, lower rate of interest depending on how risky they are corporations are more risky than governments. You know, entities that are sponsored by the U.S. government are, are less risky uh, than some municipalities. Uh, some states are less risky than others, depending on their pension obligations. Some cities are uh, less risky than others, depending on their population growth and their ability to tax people. So that all adds into how much those uh, entities will have to charge interest, or I guess pay interest, I should say, and how much a person is willing to buy that bond for as far as it, it better pay you enough interest over that time period you're buying to justify, right. you know, investing your money in that bond. So, you know, it's it's essentially loans, so it's it's nothing fancier than that. Do so. those, uh, your term, is term the correct? Yeah, term or maturity. Maturity, yep. it, that varies, right? You know, I, I'm trying to think about, a, you know, long term where you put your money as far as, you know, obviously bonds are less risky than than investing stuff. And why? Correct. You know, because they're higher on the capital structure. If if the company goes bankrupt tomorrow, generally corporate bonds, you get less of interest or get less return. And you should expect less return for a bond. But those get paid. Those will be paid out before the equity holders. Equity. Okay. 
Right. And there's all kinds of ways you can cut it, senior, subordinate. We won't sure. get into that. But in general, the reason you earn less with bonds is that they're safer. And the reason they're safer is they're higher up on the capital structure. Right. Now, government bonds, you know, U.S. government is probably going to be around. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, ultimately, they can tax and then pay off their debt. Now you can't touch those until they're mature, right? You can sell them. There's a secondary market for everything. You can. Yep. Okay. If you're buying individual bonds, and this goes back to, again, the advent of the ETF and mutual fund structure, you can buy different sectors. You know, I'd rather buy 1,000 corporate bonds than 10 because if I blend out the rate, they're probably very similar. But I only have 10 companies versus 1,000 that if right. one goes bankrupt, I feel better off. Again, and, diversifying yeah. over multiple. Mm-hmm. So, okay, then, you know, let's say you're trying to set yourself up with a, a long-term strategy, you know, 15 years from now, you want to be able to have a savings plan mm-hmm. that you've been working on for the last 15 years. Should you go with a bond over a high-yield savings account or something like that? I mean, you know, is a bond typically going to have a higher interest rate than that situation because it's a little more risky than a savings account or a high-yield savings account even? Yeah. You'll get less yield on your high yield savings account because the bank or the money market fund is providing you a service by having that money ready and waiting for right. you when you immediately need it. A bond should pay a higher rate of interest, all things being equal, because you're saying, hey, I'm gonna loan this to you for five years. Right. So I'm not gonna come back and ask for it. Again, secondary market aside, I'm not gonna come ask you to, to pay me for it in this five year period. So I should expect a higher rate of interest because the company or the bank or whoever has a longer-term access to those funds. So, yeah, it's all of those things factor into your personal plan and, you know, how much cash you keep on hand is, is, I'm I'm a big believer in emergency funds and and having a certain amount, at least six months, uh, if you can, allocated to just cash in the bank ready for you when you need it. So Mm -hmm. you never carry high interest debt or anything like that. And then... Maybe there should be a percentage, depending on your portfolio and age, that you should have in bonds. I sure. mean, young guy like you, you got a you got a lot a long time before you need that, especially in your your funds. You, you might not need as much or any bond exposure. You might right. just take the equity exposure. But as you get closer to retirement, I always say I never want to own a stock or stocks for that matter that I think I'm going to need in ten years, mm-hmm. because ultimately over that ten year period of time, there's going to be a time where I'm going to wish I, I didn't have as many stocks and I want to ride it out and sure. not recognize a loss and cash it out. I want to be able to have liquidity enough to let the equity markets do what they do and then hopefully eventually come back and, and I'll be way north of where I started with right. it. So Now when you say secondary markets, so if I uh, invest in a bond, just say 10 years you know, until maturity, uh, I can obviously sell that bond on the secondary market, but it's, it's still maturity date is the same let's say it's a corporate bond mm-hmm. that I purchased that bond from, won't have to pay anything out until that bond matures. So I can sell on a secondary market, but as far as that corporation itself, they don't... They're going to pay you interest annually or semi-annually, generally is what the term is. Uh-huh. So every six months, they're going to pay you an interest payment. So if you bought that bond and it had a coupon of 5%, they're going to pay you 5% on whatever you invest every six months. You're going to have 5% annual rate of interest. Uh, with that so and I always caution too you know buying individual bonds 
generally the, the bond market's a uh, institutional type of market. It's over the counter. There's no regulated exchange. So you have to go buy it from another dealer's inventory. Sure. It's a little harder to transact. And I always say that uh, when you add in the, the cost and the transactions of the bid and ask spread and the commissions and things like that, it's generally cheaper just to buy one of those ETFs or funds. Not only do you get the diversification, but you get institutional type of execution. And in the bond market, that's a big deal. So I always caution against uh, buying sure. those individual bonds unless you have a real critical mass of, of funds to do it with. So. Well, and that's not the case. So <laughs> Come I'm on. Fine. So I think I'm fine. Um, awesome. Well, you know, what about commodities? Can you explain that? You know, there's different types of commodities. You know, you got the precious metals commodities. Right. You've got the agricultural type of product commodities. You've got what I call just inputs, right? The various rare earth metals or copper or, or something along those lines. Chains? Uh, yeah, you look good at it. Just from a, that's that's not an inv- that's an investment in you, Jack. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> My image. Yeah, exactly. So you can't put a price on that. Yeah. But no, I think, you know, when you're talking commodities, I think uh, I'm always really cautious on those as well from an individual standpoint, just because it's, if you think about any type of commodity, really the, the value of it should only go up the cost of inflation intrinsically, because, you know, if you're buying a loaf of bread today that's wheat, then, you know, tomorrow inflation should be what the price of wheat is. Now, we all know that weather has things to do with that, with with what the price is. And we all know that potential tariffs or no tariffs or or whatever, and just the the course of trade and supply and demand. And that's commodities are purely supply and demand driven in in a lot of cases. Uh, So it doesn't pay you interest either. You know, a bar of gold never pays you interest Uh, like a bond does on an annual basis. It's basically what somebody's willing to pay for it on the backside. I think as Warren Buffett said that uh, if somebody came down from Mars and looked at uh, us guarding gold and paying somebody to to stand out in front of a a vault full of gold and and hold it there and it just sits there and looks pretty, it's like people would think we're crazy because what's gold, you know? Right. Besides the gold chains that, that make Jack look yeah, good. Yeah, besides so. my gold chains. I mean, those add you know, a lot more value. So, and I would tell anybody, be careful with, there's a lot of commodity funds out there. There's, there's a, a lot, lot of guys out there that talk about commodities. Leveraged. Right. I mean, you always see the, the late night commercials on oh, you yeah. know, buying some gold coins or buying whatever, silver or whatnot. And, and I, I'm always really cautious with that because you're probably not getting a good price for it relative to the market. And two paying for a commercial absolutely to tell you about it exactly <laughs> and there's a profit margin built in there and everything yeah, right but, you know it's it, there's other things out there that there's leveraged commodity funds so you can buy like five times the movement of the, the oil or, or the movement of gold uh, and people are use those as speculation that's Sounds not like investing. A yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but it's it, it's speculation it's not investing is the way i look at it and so you got to be really careful but sure you know that's Something we always, always caution people against. Um, if someone wanted to get into it, you know, there's there's so many avenues out there. You know, the the TD Ameritrades, the Schwabs, those, and then there's the Robin Hoods, Acorn. I mean, what do you say? I mean, what do you think personally? Again, as your purely educational thoughts on the matter. <laughs> like I said, I think on the front, I think the ability now for people to get their share of an investment 
is as cheap as it's ever been. Mm -hmm. I don't think in any way, shape, or form, while you're not paying maybe a direct commission via Robinhood or even TD or Schwab for that matter, there are ancillary costs. If you you know, you you pay an ETF that has a management fee of 10 basis points or 20 basis points, which is basically a tenth of a percent or two tenths of a percent, you know, that there's a cost there. Even though you're not paying to transact, there's probably costs. There's a bid in an ask spread. So you can't buy it for the same price you can sell it. And those are fractions of a penny in, in many cases. That's how the Robin Hoods make their money, right? Because I've, I tried to understand, I read into it a little bit, tried to understand it. There's no transaction fees. And so you think that it's completely free and you're getting it for that value. Where is that? margin for them do you know exactly i mean without getting into a whole lot of deep stuff um there's a michael lewis book on this um you can read flash boys but in dark pools and things like that and, and i'm not saying robin hood's bad i think 99 percent right. of it's good but they're routing your order somewhere and they're routing it with a, a thousands or millions of other orders there's incentive for them to route orders to one place or another and that incentive is given back to them. So they're making it there. A lot of brokerages, and, and again, this is a cost to do business. They're providing you a service. I, I think anybody providing a service deserves to be paid at reasonable compensation. Mm-hmm. They're arguing amongst themselves right now what that reasonable compensation is. Sure. But if you're holding your cash at Robinhood, they're probably paying you a lower rate of interest and they're actually probably reinvesting that cash on the other side. So they're making more on what you have sitting in your account that you haven't quite bought a stock with. And then when it pays dividends, it gives you cash and they reinvest that cash, but they pay you a small amount of interest. Again, that's how they make money. It's, right. it's Yeah, because they're not paying that dividend. The, the company that bought the stock from is paying that dividend. Yeah, and it's going into your cash account. Which, but, you're, they're still, but they're still your holding place for that money. Sure. So like you're saying, they're making interest. Okay. Yeah. So... And that's kind of the brokerage model. And, and everybody said everything's free. It's free, yeah, no question. But, you know, there, there's ways and maybe it's execution or maybe not paying quite as much as you could make on cash to other places or at the bank right. or whatever. Uh, it's just simply what the bank's doing, too. The bank's holding your cash. They're lending it out on the other side, making more money on it. And then they're paying you a rate of interest. And the rate of interest they're lending it for is higher, so they make the spread. Again, that's the, the system, and, and the system works pretty well. So. Right. I guess regarding retirement, just because I'm curious, other than your company's, you know, 401k, and then I guess within that 401k, there's Roth or traditional, and then mm-hmm. there's IRAs. I mean, do you have any any thoughts on that? Or let's take a 25 year old for example. What would be a place that they should start? The 401k is the. I mean, think about it this way: in any 25 year old, either it's a kid of a client or a friend or a coworker or or somebody, I always tell the first thing you should do is Find out what your company's matching on the 401k if they offer one and invest at least up to that amount. Otherwise, you're leaving money on the table. Right. Before you do anything, before you pay off debt, before you do anything, and, and people might think I'm crazy by saying that, but, but you are leaving money on the table if you don't pay yourself by investing in the 401k and getting that match from your company. That's the first thing you should do. Mm-hmm. So I think the 401k is a great route to start investing. I think if you're young, chances are, Jack, you'll probably be making more money 20 years down the road than you're making now, right? That'd be nice. Yeah, that's your goal, right? Yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> so, so if that's the case, I always encourage younger folks to say, hey, let's do the Roth 401k if that's available to you, which is an after-tax contribution. 
So unfortunately, they take the taxes out before that. But that money is but never. Then you don't have to pay taxes when you pull it out. It's never taxed again, and right. all the growth is not taxable. And okay, so you do this now for ten or fifteen, twenty years, you're going to have a big bucket of assets in the Roth, and then on the backside, you switch. You go back to the traditional type of 401k where it goes in pre-tax, but then comes out taxed on the on the backside when you pull it out. So, young person, first thing I'm telling them: if you can do it, do the Roth. And then do up to at least your company match. That is the first thing I do. And if you're not doing it, do it now and then go from there. I mean, because then you can look at maybe doing an IRA, a Roth IRA after that. And then maybe look at a taxable account. And that's, account. Ex- that's external from your company's 401k, obviously, right? The uh, yeah. IRA. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you have to open that up yourself. Like that's an individual. trade or something or yep. Schwab or whatever custodian you yeah. choose, right? Whatever broker, whatever broker. custodian or... Yeah whatever app you use. Awesome. Well, I'm probably going to become really wealthy from listening to you. This is not specific advice, Jack. This is educational. educational. So I, I hope you're learning. That's yes, great. I'm learning a ton. Uh, do you have anything else? Um, I think there's a, if, if this is looking at younger folks and, and how you're looking at things, I think there's a misconception potentially out there that the markets are rigged the markets are bad. Uh, not getting political here, but I, I think it's Let's always it. like, well, no, no. I, I think there's a perception, and even even from my generation or even the generations older than me, oh, the market's rigged. I, I don't see how you can rig billions of transactions that occur in a year. You know, I think the fraud cases get the headlines, and, and Bernie Madoff, and you know, Enron, and all these. You probably don't remember Enron, but. All saw these a movie other. about it one time in school. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Smartest it men in the room. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 Very intense. good. Um, no, it was a little bit before me. I think. Yeah, a little bit. It wasn't. I, I experienced it. But, uh, you know, I, I think that there's a perception that, that deck stacked against the little guy or just us as individuals. But I, I'm a big believer in the access and your ability to invest now is, is as easy as it's been. It's as cheap as it's been. And it's, you know, snap of your fingers, you pull up your app, right? right. It's awesome. And, and to have that ability to do it and to do it at a young age, I think the one thing that, that young people don't get that their parents or grandparents get, and probably not their parents or their grandparents, is pensions. So we have to do it on our own. It helps if you have some advice, obviously, but I think there's little things you can do to get started and, and to really kind of kickstart what you're doing and, and simple things. And I know that we're going to have those in upcoming podcasts and, and talk about some various things that we can do. But I think ultimately, I, I think you're putting the odds in your favor by participating in the capital markets. There's no question about it. When you wake up and you're as old as me, you're going to have more money than when you started than when you started 20, 25 years ago. Uh, it's just going to happen, whether it's via interest, whether it's via growth in the stock market, whether it's via dividends. It's a good thing. So I think people need to kind of get over the, oh, uh, it's you know, rigged and stacked against me and, right. and participate and make it a part of your daily. So. Lastly, do you have any resources or, or books or topics that people could, you know, that you have enjoyed or appreciated over time, financial or not, that, that you think anyone would be interested in? That's a good question. Um, we, we give a book called The Investment Answer Out. Uh, to, we've given it to all our clients. Uh, it's a very short book. You can read it. I always say if you're flying to Chicago, take it there, and then you can read it and then give it to somebody when you're getting off the plane. It takes an hour. But it's a really good book that does it very simplistically. Uh, it was a gentleman that was uh, an advisor who got brain cancer, 
who was on Wall Street and working, I won't name a bank, but working for one of the big banks. And then it's like, you know what, I want to help people. And I want to know what I take, what I know and, and help folks do it for themselves. And, and so he became an advisor, got brain cancer, and this was kind of his epitaph. And he wrote it, and this is probably 10 years old or 12 years old, the book. Um, but he wrote it, and it's very simplistic. It's very easy to follow along, and, and it kind of lays out a number of different things on asset allocation and on investing, and whether you do it yourself or not, and, and you know what to do and how to get the proper diversification. So he kind of walks through that. And again, simple book. There's books by Larry Swedrow, who's kind of the, the right financial plan you'd ever need and the right uh, stocks and, and investment book you'll ever need. Uh, he's pretty good. Uh, there's a book by Nick Murray, uh, and I believe it's Simple Wealth, Inevitable Wealth, um, but it gets a, a good primer into investing and the behavioral side of investing and things like that. So those those handful of different books are, are good places to start before you get to the real technical ones. Well, thanks, you know, for all of your education yeah, and sure. all of the knowledge that you shared with us today. I'm excited to, uh, you know, delve a little bit deeper into it, and, uh, you know, your time is obviously appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. It was was fun. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. You've reached the end of another episode of Let's Talk Business. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your podcast app, Spotify, or iTunes. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to make light.